This is Scott Worley, and I am joined by my friend, Jen Wilkin, and my co-host, JT English. Yes! I mean, I received that. <laughs> that meant that's my favorite start we've ever had. Uh, man, I got to tell you, uh, I will say this. I, well, uh, good gulps, this, huh? I, I'm going to, this is one of those things, and JT, I'm about to say something, and you cannot finish the rest of the story. Watch like, there me. Are, there are some text messages that I will only send to JT, and not to, not on our friend's thread, and I sent one yesterday, or I sent one this morning. It was a trap. JT fell right into the trap. I did. I did. Do you want to talk about? No, I don't want to talk about. It. I just want to say it was, um, it was, it was a joke, and uh, you fell right. It was into really it. funny. It was really funny. I think we should talk. No, about I don't it. think we should. I shouldn't have brought it up. It was a bad. I think idea. I'm happy that you guys are having exchanges. I'm not a part of. Also, you from did not now want on, to be a part of this one. I think we should just refer to each other as fro hosts. Fro hosts. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, the man. fro hosts and founding members of Crick, uh, members of Crickleback. That's us. That's, yep, yeah. we'll take it. Um, I'll update my Twitter bio when we get off the episode. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're talking about Romans 5, 12 through 21, and uh, this is a very dense passage. So, Jen, why don't you read it for us, and we'll, we'll go off to the races. Okay. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There we go. Well, I want us to talk through this passage. And we even before, just uh, this is one of those passages where even before we jumped into recording it, <laughs> the three of us were, we were like, we started talking about the passage before we even got there. So I do think there's going to be some good conversation here. Uh, and so let's start right at the very beginning. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Hold on. What? Is, like, is, is Paul saying that like the world is broken because one person sinned? Yeah, this is actually something people get a lot of heartburn over when they start reading this. They're like, why? Well, or if even if they're reading Genesis, it's like, well, why did that loser Adam screw it all up for us? Um, the implication being, if I had been there and this whole thing had been laid out before me by the serpent, I would have been like, no way. I can see right through your evil plans, you know? And so I think we have a sense that if we had been the one placed in the garden responsible for choosing either autonomy or dependence, we definitely would have chosen dependence. Yeah. And we feel, we feel like our representative in the garden was inadequate. 
Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm always sympathetic to people's surprise at this accounting for sin. I mean, JT, I don't know if you remember in the training program, but when we would teach on oh. sin or if I taught on sin, I would, I would, there was a song that I would play. Uh, it's called curse your branches by Pedro the lion. And yeah. in one of the lines, he sings this question, wait just a minute. You expect me to believe that all this misbehaving grew from one enchanted tree and that's why it's hard to be hard to be a decent human being. It's like, yes, that this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the problem with humanity, the problem that we're faced with, the problem of the world, sin, death, shame, wickedness, evil, it has a moment. It has an inciting event. It, there was a time in which it was not. And then through the actions of this one man, who is representative of humanity, who represents all of us, we'll talk about more of this in a minute, sin entered the world yeah. and, and broke. Um, it, it broke things. It, and the principal impact of that breaking, or maybe the, the principal punch of that breaking, is death, is the curse of death. Yeah, so this is one of those passages, like uh, I have a hard time not thinking about uh, Calvin's Institutes when I read this. He's so helpful. I mean, when you think about Calvin's Institutes, he begins it with one of the most important lines I think ever written theologically. He says that good and sound wisdom consists in two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. Uh, and as he talks about self, he he first starts by talking about image bearing, dignity, mm-hmm. value, worth. But then he says, it's only in considering our image bearing nature that we also have to consider our blemished nature, which is our, our sinfulness. He says things like, Adam implicated us in his ruin. Adam not only took upon himself misfortune and ruin, but also plunged our nature. And that's what this is getting at, our nature, not just our deeds and actions, but our nature into destruction. He infected all of us with the corruption into which he had fallen. So if if you're thinking about this from a church history perspective, there's been a ton of ink spilled on how to read passages like this, like Romans 5. I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I think it bears repeating here. The two primary ways of reading a Romans 5 passage would be uh, there was a bishop named Pelagius who read this as believing, no, 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 actually every human falls in themselves or Augustine, who who wrote a book against Pelagius, or a, a tractate against Pelagius, where he says, nope, every human falls in Adam. And the reality is, I think I heard Michael Horton say this once, he said, every single person is born a Pelagian. It's actually the nature of sin itself, which leads you to believe that you are perhaps autonomous and responsible entirely for your own actions, Everybody needs to be converted to Augustinianism, which tells us uh, the gospel is that God is doing for us that which we could never do for ourselves, not just because we sinned, but because we are sinners Mm -hmm. separated from God. Again, not just by our actions, but by our very nature, that just by being born, we're already plunged into this first sin of which our uh, first parents uh, committed against God. Yeah. So in this passage, is Paul saying that I sinned, that Adam sinned, that we all sinned? What What is he really saying when it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man? And he's going to repeat this. So we're talking about it here at length, but mm-hmm. we will po- we'll, we'll gloss over it a little bit more as we go through the passage, because this idea of one trespasses, yeah. one man, 
one act of disobedience. There's a the, he is emphatic on the that one thing. I think it's because he is really trying to tie this back to the uniqueness of a very specific historical event, mm-hmm. right? It's not like some sort of broad generalization. He's making one emphatic statement here. So when he, but it goes on, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Mm-hmm. So did I sin? Did Paul sin? Did we all sin? What's the answer here? I mean, JT? I think the answer is yes to all, all of them. Mm-hmm. There's a theological category that can both be used helpfully but also abused. It's a category of federal headship. And what Paul's ultimately, I think, getting at here in this passage is he's saying there are two humanities. There's the humanity that's in Adam, in Adam, or the humanity that's in Christ. And so we like to think of ourselves as autonomous, only accountable for the actions of which I've committed. And again, there's a sense which that's true. The Bible places an unbelievable amount of responsibility at our feet as being sinners, which is what it Mm -hmm. says right here, all sinned. There's a human responsibility here. However, the Bible is also telling us that in some mysterious sense, we were in Adam in Mm -hmm. the garden. We were in Eve in the garden. We were participants in this first humanity. And as they sinned, we sinned. And now this contagion of sin has infected all of humanity. Well, and I think if I'm remembering correctly from when I studied the genealogies in Genesis, that the the ancient Near Eastern conception of a person's descendants was that they were all within them, like mm-hmm. that the, the those descendants were seen as being in the the father specifically, um, and really even that the ancient Near Eastern understanding of how children were conceived was that the father implanted the child in the mother, like that that he was the the source of the entire child. Now, that's not scientifically correct, but it explains how people were writing and thinking about the way that genealogical um, transfer of um, inheritance took place. And so this is an inheritance discussion that's being had here in Romans. It's saying that our father uh, for all humanity is Adam. We were in him. Um, and we're descended from him. So therefore we inherit from him uh, what he brought upon uh, all humanity in the garden when he sins. It's a little yeah. ancient Near Eastern biology lesson, I guess. For what Isn't it unfair that Adam's sin would be counted, like, like we would be counted sinners because of Adam's sin? Like doesn't that yeah. seem like an unfair thing? You know, I think the reason it hits us particularly unfairly uh, as Americans is because we believe that we should elect our representatives. Like if someone's going to represent me, it's going to be the person I voted for. Or if the person I didn't vote for is the one who represents me, then I really, you know, I don't really have to feel great about any of their decisions. And I think that's the way that we feel about Adam. It's like, I didn't vote for that guy. Right. I would have voted for a winner in the garden. You know, <laughs> and uh, and and yet, um, any any vote that we cast for someone to be our representative is based out of our limited human uh, knowledge and wisdom. Uh, the representative who was chosen for us, ordained for us in the garden, was chosen by God, who holds all wisdom and knowledge. So, yep. it is important for us to to bear in mind that if if Adam was chosen to be our representative as the Bible is, is portraying the story, then we can know that he was actually the very best representative we could have had. And I'm, Kyle, I'm not sure if you're trying to go here yet, but any sense of inequality or unfairness related to the headship that we have in Adam, you would also have to apply the same logic to the representative and headship that we have in Christ. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so in a sense, 
if, if you cannot be in Christ if you haven't already admitted that you were in Adam. Yeah. We mm-hmm. we need to be a people who say freely we have representatives of which I'm implicated of their works. Mm-hmm. You're either represented by Adam in his sinfulness or by Christ in his righteousness. And until that becomes your picture of the gospel, you'll probably have some kind of a truncated view of the gospel. If you want to say, no, Adam isn't my representative, then you can't, it, because representation is unfair, then I'm not sure how you portray the gospel of you now being in Christ. Yep, yep, that is a really good point. Uh, another thing that's fascinating to me about this that I don't think is often discussed outside of the context of the book of Romans as a whole is the distance which... Paul decides to go back because for his Jewish audience, the farthest back that they tend to go in any genealogical reckoning is to father Abraham, right? Like for them, um, the beginning of the nation of Israel is the, is, the, is the big name that comes to mind. And he takes them back further because he is building out an argument that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. And you can't look at Adam and his um, his offspring and deny that both Jew and Gentile spring from Adam. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going all the way back. You're yeah. like, hey, you can't avoid this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're. This is. This isn't Moses. This is not Abraham. It's yeah. Adam. The implications of Father Adam are much bigger than the implications of Father Abraham. There you go. Did you just think about that? I did. That just came out just then. You That's like really- a T-shirt. You really, you really bother me sometimes with, <laughs> with your ability to do that. So, just I have not got to the place yet where I see it as a blessing of our friendship. I see it as a, as a uh, as something I covet. But all right. So the next line: For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Wait, what? We're talking about sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted. We've talked about this in a previous episode. This is one of those things that sounds more confusing than I think Paul intends it to be. He's not saying sin didn't exist before the law. He's just saying the idea, again, for the Jewish Christians, what were you measuring yourself against? Well, prior to the law, there was not an objective standard that was codified that you were measuring your transgression against. Sin was certainly transgressing the natural law, God's character, God's law, God's intentions for his people. But the law comes in, and now those that transgression is certainly seen in stark contrast with the detail and the specificity of the law that was given. And we know that there was sinfulness because death was still reigning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what he goes on to. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So he's saying, listen, it's not about what Adam did here. <laughs> like He's saying like- Specifically. It's not specifically. It's yeah. not eating the fruit from the tree. He's just saying, no- There is a spirit of rebellion that characterizes sin and sinfulness. Death is the repercussion and the proper consequence of that rebellion. Death reigned from Adam to Moses before the law, and those who disobey God and persist in that disobedience, they merit death Mm -hmm. even after the law. But in between those moments and even after, you don't have to sin like Adam to be counted as a sinner. Mm-hmm. You are a sinner because of what Adam has done because you were in Adam as he was the federal head or representative of all of humanity. And subsequently, your sin may not look like Adam's, but trust me, you're born into this world in the mold of Adam by virtue of the impact of sin in the world. Now we're getting the contrast. So we move in verse 15. But the, uh, well, no, I want to pause here because there's a, there's a, 
a, a phrase that's used here in verse 14 that I don't want to gloss over because it's absolutely crucial. And I would say it's a neglected part of a proper Christology or doctrine of Christ. Verse 14, this transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So this is what we'll call, or not what we'll call, this is what is is called the Adam-Christ typology. And it's absolutely crucial for understanding Paul's line of argumentation in Romans 5. And it's pivotal to understanding much of Paul's understanding of the doctrine of Christ. This comes up in a very big way in 1 Corinthians. You think in particular of 1 Corinthians 15. It's a passage where the Adam-Christ typology weighs in heavily, but you're going to find it throughout all of Paul's letters. JT, just broadly, what, what is what is this to me? Jen, do you have any takes on this? Anything you want to add? Adam Christ typology. What is it? What is a typology? I'm going to go first so that Jen can say fancier stuff after me. To <laughs> uh, maybe, because type can sound like a strange term. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it almost, it's a term that is used in so many other connotations that it doesn't make sense. Maybe another helpful way to think of it is like a shadow. Like shadow. it's a, it's a foreshadowing, mm-hmm. a picturing of what's to come. And so Adam is this type of Christ that, that we're beginning to see. So here's, here's one example uh, that we would see in Genesis chapter one and then Colossians chapter one of the Adam type, uh, Adam Christ typology is that Adam and Eve are called image bearers of God. They are the mm-hmm. icons through which we look at them and we see that this human, these humans were meant to reign and rule on God's behalf to represent him, to cultivate his dominion to the ends of the earth. That's what Adam and Eve were were commissioned to do in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. But at the same time, we see they did not do that. Who does come to do it? Well, the type who is Christ. He's the one who's mm-hmm. come, Colossians chapter one, as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. So he's not the Adam who came to cultivate creation. He's actually the better Adam who who is the one who created all things and has now come to recreate all things. So in Adam, we see uh, a, a shadow of the ultimate picture, the fulfillment of what we see in Christ. There you yeah. go. I don't have anything to add. That was great. I was sweating that one out. I'll just keep going until I say it all. (laughs) You nailed it. You nailed it. But this Adam Christ typology is crucial. And he kind of presupposes that you're following that uh, train of thought in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Okay, so now we're getting a contrast between what Adam did and what Christ has done, what who Adam was and who Christ is. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So this is an idea that Paul is going to say explicitly in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the work of Christ is not... We should not understand what Jesus does as proportional to what Adam does. It's not. Right. The work of Christ is disproportional to the work of Adam. And this is not necessarily even a quantity thing. It should not be understood uh, because a very important note here, and that could be lost in this, everyone is born by nature as a sinner condemned. Not everyone is born again by grace into a child of God. So Paul is not saying here the number of those who will be uh, rescued by the work of Christ through the free gift is greater than the number of those who've been impacted by sin. Just biblically, we know that's not what's on play. But Paul's also demonstrating that the work of Christ is greater than the work of Adam. In what way? Well, because he has brought in himself, he has brought a free gift that is abounding for many in the face of their rejection and unrighteousness. Mm 
So it's not like Christ's work as uh, Paul has uh, Paul has done something, not Paul, Adam has done something that has impacted all by nature. And Christ has come in and taken upon himself the impact of that work, and he is now by grace giving over his righteousness to those who do not have it. So I think what you're getting at is um, the idea of the sacrifice of Christ being sufficient for all, but efficient for for some. Am I correct on that? Yeah. Yeah. I was not going to get it. I wasn't going to take us there. <laughs> you were not? <laughs> I wasn't, but now that we're here, what we're going to like, mm-hmm. you were going to like put a lot of words around it so people wouldn't know that was what you were saying. Like what was no. the strategy there, Kyle? Well, thank you for the shade thrown. I receive it. <laughs> that such. was not shade. That um, was, it's, it was so direct. I don't think you can call it shade. <laughs> yeah. It was just me punching you in the face. No, I, I am saying I am... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, words okay. can do, do harm. Uh, yes. They can do some damage. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. the 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 work of Adam is effectual for everyone that exists, except for one. Every human who's ever lived uh-huh. was impacted by the work of Adam. Human was impacted by the work of Adam. Okay, and only one human could overturn the work of Adam. And his work is effectual. It's not potential. It doesn't make salvation available. It doesn't make righteousness accessible. It activates, affects righteousness and <laughs> salvation. And it does so by, by grace. I'm saying the quiet part out loud right here, as they say on Twitter. <laughs> Which is that, yes, I believe, I, I believe, and I, I think this is one of many passages that lead us to a place of what, I, of what I would call complete atonement or effective atonement. All right. So let's just, cards on the table. I want our, our hearers, now that I've made Kyle squirm um, for the past however many minutes it is, um, you're allowed to disagree on this. Like this, if you feel like that makes you uncomfortable and you don't like the idea of what what the Reformed tradition would call limited atonement, you should knock yourself out figuring out why you disagree and you know where you would take issue with that. I do just want to autobiographically tell everyone as I you know now that I've pushed Kyle around. I actually was drawn to this reading um, during a study of the book of Romans in which the person teaching it actually held a different position. I did not even know the Reformed position on it, but I just kept seeing it come up again and again. And so um, I say that just to mention that you never know where studying a book of the Bible is going to take you theologically. And as you begin to see an idea crystallizing in your thinking, it is important to run it up against um, what the what the tradition has held, you know, for the last two thousand years, and this is one of those places where there is um, discussion among the tradition about how the atonement relates to all of humanity or some of humanity. Any other yep. thoughts, guys? Anybody else want everybody, to blow themselves up on a grenade? Kyle. Everybody get mad at Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table here too. Kyle and I share this position. Mm-hmm. It's a position that I came to from from reading these passages as well. And then also, 
if people are interested in thinking more about specifically this Adam type Christology, Adam sin, Christ's yeah. righteousness, there's a really helpful introduction to J.I. Uh, sorry to John Owen's book, "The Death of Death and the Death of Christ," that J.I. Packer writes. You don't have to buy the book; actually, you can just Google J.I. Packer introduction to "Death of Death and the Death of Christ," and it's I don't know what Kyle two thousand words, fifteen hundred words. It's like a blog post basically, yep. and he walks through a biblical theology of limited. I don't like that term, limited atonement. Yeah. I think it's unhelpful. But, but particular redemption, particular, yeah. mm-hmm. complete atonement. Complete atonement. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that Jesus does not, in his, in his death and resurrection and ascension, does not make salvation possible, but makes it, makes it actual. And then even logically walks through, if it's only possible uh, and, and, and it's sufficient for all, you ultimately, he says, have to come to the conclusion that God is unjust because... If Jesus's death is sufficient for all and you and he suffered for your sins and and you have to suffer for your sins, God is requiring a double payment mm-hmm. or you have to be a universalist because Jesus actually makes it possible for all and saves all. And so to make it real simple, if Kyle owes me $5 and Jen atones for him and pays him $5, Kyle either does not owe me $5 anymore or you essentially have to be a universalist in atonement terms. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it'd probably be good if people went and read those 1,500 words. Yep. Um, this was actually not one of the landmines we talked about before we started it recording wasn't episode, one. So You are welcome, we, guys. But boy, did yeah. I step on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so to get back to the text, I, this, is, this is not a verse that I has stuck out to me normally when I read this passage, but I do think it's kind of the hint. It's not the theological hinge. It's more the literary hinge. He kind of just comes out and says what he's doing in verse 15 when he mm-hmm. says, the free gift is not like the trespass. That's what he's trying to say. He says, to put it in simple terms, what Jesus has done is way better than what Adam yeah, did. Yeah. And, you, and you can be recipients of that gift. Well, and yeah. this, is the mess, this is the shadow and fulfillment progression too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it goes from a smaller thing to a bigger thing or from a yep. lesser thing to a, to use Hebrew's language, a better thing, right? Yep. Uh, and so that's what you should be looking for in shadow and fulfillment is how is this much more than the, the shadow, than the shadow would have indicated to those who witnessed it. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com.
So Paul continues here, and uh, he, he's contrasting this work. The judgment following one trespass, Adam's, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. This reigning language is going to carry over into the next section, and it does seem reigning and 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 that kind of imagery and language is not something that we, and maybe it's just that we live in like a Western democracy. We don't use a lot of rain. And I just want for the listener here, because I know I'm saying it, you might be thinking rain, like rain, water yeah. coming down. It's rain, man. Hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> Thank We're you, God. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. When the that, praises guys. go up, that's the blessings come is. down. Yeah, that's not it. The free gift is not like the trespass. That was better. And yeah, that was better. Producer Brad, we're going to need a clip of that. Yeah, uh, we will take that. It's R-E-I-G-N, guys. You're welcome. A little memory tool there. You will, Now you'll never read this passage without it's true. That That's again. true. It is true. Uh, it is R-E-I-G-N. Reign like a king or a queen. So, But we have a lot of that language here. And uh, I just think that's really interesting, isn't it? For if one man's trespass death reigned, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And the turn here is fascinating. One man's trespass, death reigned. Okay, so now we're talking about this rule and kingdom mm-hmm. of sin mm-hmm. and death and shame. But on the flip side, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Mm-hmm. So these people who had been under the reign of death once they receive the free gift, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, now they're no longer under the reign of death, but also they're now reigning with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's different. The emphasis changes here. It's, it's not just that salvation is you were under sin's condemnation and rule and reign. That's true. Salvation pulls you out of that. And it does pull you into the kingdom of Jesus, but because of our, and Paul will talk more about this in Romans 8 in particular, but because we are pulled out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the reign of death, Mm -hmm. and into the kingdom of a son in whom we live and move and have our being in Christ, we are now just not under the reign of Jesus, but we are reigning with Jesus. So we're co-heirs with Christ. So our position in this move, one of the key differences is what death does or the reign of Adam, what Adam's sin does is it puts us under a rule and reign of which we have no ability to exercise stewardship over. We are in complete subjugation. We are basically under the oppression of sin and shame and death. When we're saved, it's not just that we're brought into a new kingdom where we are still following, though that's true as a baseline, but that we're also ruling and reigning in that kingdom, which is what God intended for Adam and Eve, right? That's that's one of the great failures of the garden. And JT, you remember we talk a lot about this in uh, the Institute or in Forge or in the training program, whatever we want to call it, which is basically like we say, hey, God created Adam and Eve to be vice regents, mm-hmm. yep. to rule and reign over creation. They reject God's rule and reign. They don't want to reign and rule under God's kingdom and with God. So instead they reject that. As a part of sin, we actually lose the ability to rule and reign over creation the way God intended. And salvation is recovering that. So it's not just rescuing us from sin. It's recovering our purpose in God's world. Is that, am I, am I saying it too emphatically? 
No, I don't think so. I think whether you're talking about, you know, the story of the Bible is really the story of the kingdom of God, or it's the story Mm -hmm. of representation. Are you represented by the city of man? Are you represented by the city of God? Or here to use the term reigning, you're either being reigned by and reigned over this city of man Mm -hmm. or the city of Adam or the city of Christ, the new king. And I think that's going to be, you know, as we move into, I don't want to get ahead of us, but in Romans 6, you know, it's often quoted, I quoted a lot, Romans 6, 16, about you will either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. But slavery to righteousness is a reigning and ruling. It's it's not, uh, they are not, they are not um, equivalent forms of slavery. I don't even know the right way to say it. Or, or um, uh, they're not yin and yang uh, uh, representations mm. of slavery. Slavery to Christ is... Um, is uh, has an agency to it um, that is part of image bearing, and that's why I love Kyle the amount of time you spent on this because we don't want to over that slavery to sin um, points is a is a foil for slavery to righteousness, but slavery to righteousness is a much more uh, uh, situation. Yes, yeah. and I, I don't know how to get that's it good. into words clearly enough, but what you have just articulated. Welcome to how the rest of us feel. Like <laughs> <all the time. laughs> no, what you're you. what you're really leaning into, and I think what Paul is doing in this passage is really just blowing apart any kind of dualistic idea of yeah. um, of darkness and light. Right? Yeah. Um, there is darkness, but there is much more light. the 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 right. The kingdom of light is a much more kingdom. Um, it's almost so like what that. John. To just that imagery, Jen, is really good. It almost makes you think of John's, what is it, John one seventeen, the light has come into the world not, yeah. and the darkness can't overcome it. There's there's not a, there's one little light and darkness can't can't overtake it. They're not oppositional equivalents. I don't even know if that's a that's, word, but we're gonna say it is. Should be. Yeah. It's two words. Verse though. 18, therefore is one trespass led to condemnation <laughs> for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Well, okay. Hold on. Does this mean that everyone who has ever lived all of humanity, if all of humanity was affected by Adam's sin, right, which is true, is all of humanity gifted justification or life. It could feel like the interchange there is everyone's affected by Adam's sin. Subsequently, everyone is saved by Christ's act of righteousness. I, I don't, one of the good hermeneutical principles of reading scripture is that we read scripture in context with other mm-hmm. passages mm-hmm. and in context with other passages, even in Romans, as we'll get to later. Uh, this the end of this season and the beginning of the next one. Not everyone is gifted the righteousness of God in Jesus. Mm-hmm. God's people are gifted the righteousness of God in Jesus. So what does Paul mean here? Well, he means that there is a free offer of salvation. And let me tell you something. Reformed theologians, even those who believe in particular atonement, complete atonement, limited atonement, whatever, they believe in the free offer of the gospel. Yes. Meaning like the offer of the gospel should be extended to everyone because mm-hmm. everyone needs it. That's now, right. will everyone re- receive it? No. Who will receive it? All who the Father draws to Jesus. Well, how do mm-hmm. we know who the Father draws to Jesus? All those who come to Jesus in faith and repentance. So this is not like a, I think what Paul is making sure about here is that everyone in the church in Rome knows this. They all need to hear the gospel. Everyone in Rome needs to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And there's the free offer of God's saving work for everyone in Rome and everyone in the church in Rome. And God is going to seek and save everyone who belongs to him. And he won't lose a one. And nor have they not been accounted for in the saving work of Christ. This is actually a really good illustration of how if you don't know the context for a verse, someone can use it to teach something that it isn't teaching. Because mm. if you didn't consider this verse in the context of the rest of Romans and then even to, to to zoom out even further in the context of the rest of Paul's writing and then even to zoom out further and in the context of the rest of the New Testament and you know the Bible as a whole— 
you could use this as an argument for universalism. But when you let scripture interpret scripture, you you can't use this verse in that way. Right, that's right. That's right. For uh, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Then this verse, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But hold on. Listen, if we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I should, li- I should do whatever I want. Grace is a good thing. Yes. If I sin, there's more of grace, more of a good thing. So if I do a bad thing and there's more of a good thing, then I should do bad things because then there'll be more of a good thing, right? Yeah, two, I think two points here. It, one thing that I just love about Paul, like good preachers, they're anticipating the questions yeah. that you're being led to. And that's really cool. I think that he's just saying, hey, I know here's what you're thinking, which first, or I'm not going to get to Romans chapter six just yet, but first, the gospel really is that good. Like the fact mm-hmm. that he would be portraying a picture of you cannot fundamentally outsend the grace of God. The more you sin, the greater grace there is. Like that's really what it is. That's what he just said to us in Romans chapter five. And we should put an emphatic exclamation point at the end of that and say, yes, where, where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. You cannot outsend the grace of God. So brother or sister, who may be struggling with sin, you're fighting against sin, like John Owen would tell us, you're trying to mortify the flesh wonderful. But at the same time, there's assurance for you uh, if you're struggling with sin that, that Jesus's blood is sufficient for you to receive forgiveness of sins. That's the good news of the gospel. However, in him anticipating this question, he gets to Romans chapter six, verses one through four, and we'll ask this question, should sin, therefore, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? And the Greek term there is meganoito, mm-hmm. that by no means, you. Th- this is you now, and think back to Romans chapter one, where he says, my gospel proclamation is both for conversion and for obedience of faith. And those two things cannot be separated. It's like that wonderful conversation we had with Dr. Kruger that really we're, we're high, we, we want to avoid licentiousness and we mm-hmm. want to avoid legalism. Both of those are ditches that the gospel says no to. Mm-hmm. That's good. Can we just very quickly, I know we're just about out of time, but how would you paraphrase this phrase? Now the law came to increase the trespass. Like what, what is the sense of what Paul is saying there? Because I think that's really confusing to someone who's just reading through. It's like, wait a minute, how did the law make sin get bigger or increase? How would you paraphrase it or restate it? That's a really good way. That's a really good question. And, and we've talked through it a couple of times now. And I understand every time I read it and every time I preach it, I'm like, okay, this feels so confusing. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. I think what's here, the more that we come to know about God, the more uh, accountable we're held to mm-hmm. walking in righteousness and obedience. Mm-hmm. When the law shows up, what had been true of God's character, what had been expected of God's people was not changing, mm-hmm. but it was being made clear mm-hmm. to humanity in a unique way. Mm-hmm. And that clarity becomes a greater measure of accountability. So it doesn't magnify what sin is substantively, but it does create more culpability, I believe, in terms of how we perceive it, because there's certainly more. Now, the people before the law came, if they were they were um, impacted by Adam's sin and they were, they were uh, deserving of judgment as a mm-hmm. result of it. Mm-hmm. But when the law emerged, it's not that they become more culpable in God's eyes. It's that they become more accountable for what God's revealed. Yeah. So now that the law is here, now you can't go, well, God hasn't said anything about Mm -hmm. this. 
Mm-hmm. No, God has said something about this, right? This is part of the tragedy of, I think we're getting a little bit of this even in John 1, 1 through 18 in the Johanna prologue. Uh, you're talking about Jesus was coming and we get this phrase, um, he came to his own people and his own people didn't receive him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we get, well, why does John mention that? Because it's astounding. It's not saying the Jewish people are more guilty now. Mm-hmm. It's just saying they should have been prepared. They had been given the oracles, the law of God, the message of the prophets. So again, we're not saying that God's going, you were more worthy of judgment before or after. It's right. that, no, I've given you more to operate off of. The opportunity for obedience has been, has been raised because of the clarity of my revelation. Well, and to put it into maybe a human illustration, just one that people can relate to, um, when you have a toddler who hits another toddler, you know, you, you have to correct them because they shouldn't hit another toddler. They may not have top of mind awareness that they shouldn't have done it. But as they get older, you're going to say, hey, don't hit. And so if they're 13 years old and they're still hitting people, well, that's an increase in the transgression, right? And mm. it's, it's a way that the, their, because their accountability to it grows the longer they are aware of it, you know, and yeah, they should be, they, you will either grow in maturity or you will store up wrath against the day of judgment. And so um, I think that's how, when I read this, this is, that's, the, that's how I think about it is um, the law doesn't make people sin more. It makes, it, it's almost as if it makes their sin more grievous because their awareness of it um, should be growing over time. Yep. You know, um, just to kind of land us here, a couple of weeks back, we got to spend some time at JT's church and we, uh, we sang a song there that we sing at Mosaic, uh, that we sing at Mosaic. I know that the village sings it as well. Uh, his mercy is more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that because it, it, we've been to Romans 5 now for two episodes and I'm just surprised again by the greatness of God's mercy and grace. It just the, the chorus of this song, praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Mm-hmm. Where sin is abounded, grace is abounded mm-hmm. all the more. For Amen. the Christian, we've been talking about the impact of sin. We've been talking about the one act of disobedience. But for the Christian, the good news of the gospel is that even when we fail, even when we sin, God's grace abounds. What we receive when we come to God is not just the divine etch-a-sketch of a God who says, I will shake myself up and forget what you did. Mm-hmm. That's not it. it. It is the divine grace and love of a God who says, I know exactly what you did. I actually know its heinousness better than you do. And I'm going to give you a love and a grace that outweighs it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's better than just God forgives and forgets and dismisses it. It's no, I know it. It's been accounted for. And I'm giving you something that's heavier than it. That's more substantive. Yeah. Um, in studying the attributes um, of God, one of the, one of my favorite observations that's come out of that, it's not, I don't think it's original to me, stuck in my head. The first Adam, he's human. He's finite. And sin is a product of finite human beings. Therefore, there is a limited amount to sin. But the second Adam, the last Adam, he is the God-man. The son is infinite. Grace is infinite. Mm. And so sin is finite. Grace is limitless. That's why grace will always Mm. abound beyond the limits of what sin can generate. That's really cool. Amen. I need that. You guys need that? Yeah. I definitely do. Um, And I know that you do as well, personally. Amen. Um, (laughs) 
In our next episode, we will ask, if there's an abundance of grace, doesn't that mean we can live however we want? We will be joined by author and teacher, Courtney Doctor. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. If you're looking for us on social media, you can find us at Knowing Faith Podcast. Listen, if you have been listening to Knowing Faith and you're wondering, hey, you guys mentioned a lot of resources and you mentioned show notes, where can I find those? Well, you can usually find find them in the podcast description, but you can also go to trainingthechurch.com. And at the top of that website, there's a little link that says podcast. And if you scroll over that, you'll see show notes and resources. If you click on show notes, you can search and find basically anything from any of our episodes of any season. If you click on resources, it'll take you over to this nice, cool Amazon shop where we have cataloged every book we have recommended for every Knowing Faith season by season. It's a tremendous resource. And for show notes and for that book page, we are grateful for Show Note Katie. Thank you, Show Note Katie, for all the work that you do. We hope you enjoy the discussion today. We look forward to continuing our journey through the book of Romans, Grace and Peace.